Welcome back to the Center in the City podcast. This month is Mental Health Awareness Month. And let's be honest, I think every day, every month should be Mental Health Awareness Month. However, we need these themed days and months to remember and remind us what typically gets marginalized in our world. So this month, I wanted to highlight conversations around mental health, specifically in the workplace. And today, I'm so excited to have Esty Briggs with us. Esty is an EQ coach, a speaker, and a creator with over 15 years of experience launching large-scale organizational change management trainings and initiatives. She is also the host of the Virtual Coffee Podcast. I will have Esty's full bio and all of her resources in the show notes. And I'm just excited to talk about emotional intelligence and how and why it's important for all of us to be practicing and strengthening this muscle. So let's settle in and let's get centered. Esty, welcome to the Center in the City podcast. Thank you, Wade. It's good to see you. It's exciting to be here. I can't wait to talk about emotional intelligence because, you know, as somebody who is dyslexic and grew up in this world kind of thinking like I had to be book smart and, you know, I wasn't as smart in quote unquote, you know, math and I wasn't the fastest reader and and best speller, you know, to then understand that being empathetic and attuned to people's emotions was a superpower and being taught that from my teachers in school gave me so much confidence. And I think that in our culture, we can emphasize like all of those more vocational skills instead of our emotional intelligence. And so anyway, I'm excited to talk about the long, long-winded way to say, I'm yeah. really excited to talk about no. this topic of emotional intelligence. It's, I'm so glad the first thing you brought up is just something that is near and dear to my heart. Cause my mom used to always say, you know, some people have book smarts, but it takes more than that in life. And she never had a word, she called it common sense. And as I got older and got into um, my own development and my undergrad work at St. Mary's and then and then grad work at USF, I really was excited to find out that there was a label for this set of skills that I also, I feel like some of them have been my superpower there's, and I don't have it perfect. I always tell people in my classes, you know, I'm not the one, I'm not coming to you as the expert. I'm certified and I can guide you, but we all possess these skills. It's when and how often we choose to use them <laughs> that, that makes the big difference. And there's this great quote uh, from Mark Brackett. He tells us, Mark Brackett is the founder, the directing founder of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. And I follow a lot of his work and uh, he does the mood meter, which I use in my courses to help people understand what zone they're in and identify their emotions. And he's, he describes this scene where he's explaining emotional intelligence to a bunch of grad students at Yale. And 
one of them's like, this is bullshit. I didn't need emotional intelligence to get into Yale. And he answers back, well, you're going to need it to get out. <laughs> I think that's, that's what it is. It's, you know, it, cognitive intelligence or IQ is a fixed set of skills that you have and that some people have more of than others and um, the ability to be analytical and and develop technical skills is great. But learning how to read a room, uh, learning when and how to engage with somebody who is also in a heightened emotional state and learning how to listen to our bodies, it's all so critical to how we move forward and how we show up in the world. And so that's what I love about it. I think that's mm -hmm. why it's become my sort of go-to topic that I love to do workshops and coaching and training around. Okay. I can't wait to continue this thread. Before we go down this road of exploring emotional intelligence, I'm curious if you can share with us your favorite or current favorite practice for getting centered, whatever that means to you. Ooh. That's, I'm not to be a fangirl, but I did just listen to her six minute um, guided meditations that I loved. Um, here's my favorite, my current favorite that I teach is called uh, Body Map. And it's this exercise where I walk people through it and I do this myself sometimes. And it's just um, the practice of checking in with your body from head to toe. So getting centered, deep breathing, square breathing is a good, a great exercise. And either while you're in an emotionally charged situation, for example, the other day I came out and I had a parking ticket after waiting in line to not get the lunch that I was gonna get because I was in a rush. So I was hangry and I had a parking ticket and I had somewhere to be and I felt myself, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm in the red zone, you know? So it's like, breathe, where do I feel it? I feel it in my chest. I feel it in my shoulders. And then, so that's the first step. And Michelle Maldonado has this great exercise on YouTube that I can share with you as so you could put it in the show notes. But basically, if you have in front of you an outline of a body and you think about where you feel what you're feeling, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant emotionally, you can draw on the map what you're feeling and where it's at. And then you can learn to listen to your body going forward because you'll find that there's patterns. Like a lot of us always or frequently feel the same emotions in the same place in our body and we're not even aware of it. I love that practice and getting people in their bodies and building that mind, body and interception connection that yeah is so skillful. And I'm curious, cause like, I didn't know that we could put mind body awareness under the category of emotional intelligence. Will you tell us more about that? Yeah. Well, I think that the cornerstone of emotional intelligence is self awareness. And it sounds very simple, but there's a lot in that term. So the first half I've divided into two categories. There's internal and external. And so internal self-awareness is recognizing that we're feeling something. Oftentimes our body knows 
and we're not listening to our body. So that's why we start. That's the connection. It's like, listen to your body, recognize the signals. It's going to your emotions, or I should say our emotions inform way more of our behavior than we're even aware of. <laughs> and it's like so often, you know, we're just on autopilot and I'm, to I'm totally guilty of it myself, but that building that self-awareness, that body map exercise is one of the homework assignments that I give people and they find it really powerful. I love that. So that we're building this awareness, self-awareness of what's happening internally and externally. The external piece is how other people are affected by it. So our internal self-awareness is recognizing what's going on. And then I think external self-awareness is that like, if you're in a room and you're talking over everybody and, you know, and they're feeling intimidated or, you know, whatever, it's just being aware of your impact on other people is the external piece. Using that professor at Yale, you said, you know, who was like, okay, but you're going to need emotional intelligence to get out of here, right? To thrive in this working environment. Why do we need emotional intelligence in the workplace? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> there's tons of research about it. I mean, there's, there's tons of statistics I could cite. The one that usually lights people up is the fact that on average, people with higher EQ make around $30,000 a year more than people with lower EQ. But I don't like that to be the main motivator. <laughs> I mean, whatever gets you there. Um, honestly, I think it's a set of skills that improve your quality of life because like I mentioned before, so often we're on autopilot and the more time we spend going through the motions, you know, the less I feel like we're really living our lives. So it just feels like you can get along without it. Um, but that doesn't mean that you should. And I think the people that, that work on developing it or that are lucky enough to maybe come by it naturally, but even develop other parts of it do end up having more satisfying, meaningful careers and interpersonal, you know, inter, interpersonal relationships and communication. Yeah. That ability to get off of autopilot is where I can totally relate. And you and I have similar appreciations for life and being connected to life because of our stories. And I'd love if you would share to people listening, like a little bit about your story and why living an intentional life is so meaningful to you. Oh yeah. That's a good way to put it. Definitely living intentionally has become increasingly important to me. Um, my quick background is that I was born and raised in the Bay Area, and I was lucky to be born into the family that I was born into. I have a great mom and dad and sister. Um, I stayed in the Bay Area most of my life. I I met my husband at Burning Man in 2000, but I was young, and we we hit it off. We got married. We we're he was in construction. I was in training and development. Bought a house. Had a kid. Um, together. But there's a lot about the relationship that there were skills that I wish he'd had, to be honest, 
And he knew that, like I told him, like <laughs> once I realized what they were, I was like, you need to work on this. <laughs> that didn't go well. Um, we weren't always in a happy place. And a lot of it had to do with our communication. And I think that looking back, we could have had better, more positive memories if we'd been able to resolve conflict better. So I know that's really deep and personal. And he passed away in 2021. He got cancer in 2014 and it was long, slow decline. Um, and so since he's passed away and it's just my daughter and I, it's so critical to me that she has that emotional support no matter what she's going through. Uh, just last night, she was telling me about, telling me about um, a teacher that gave her really harsh feedback in front of all the kids. And we kind of unpacked it together. It was like, well, you know, how did that make you feel? And what did you feel like you needed after that? And she must be very low in empathy, <laughs> low in, um, you know, self-awareness or either that or she just doesn't care if she offends people, but which is a whole nother story. I feel like my life is better. The more often I'm able to be intentional about what I'm saying and recognize what I'm feeling, even if it's unpleasant, I'd rather be present and unhappy than be not uh, unaware and be on autopilot and think that everything's fine. I hear not only you recognize how it sounds like emotional intelligence could have enhanced your relationship with your deceased husband and kind of those missed opportunities for connection and communication, mm -hmm. but also how as a parent, you're modeling it for your daughter and also supporting her building her own tools. And you as a human, again, practicing this thing called emotional intelligence. Oh, my best. <laughs> yeah. And trying to support yourself, like living in alignment with what you want to be working on. It's not just my personal life where I wish that I'd had more interactions, you know, that were emotionally intelligent. <laughs> it's the experience of being in a workplace and being, um, you know, I had some excellent leaders that I worked for in the past, but I also had, and I also witnessed some really poor um, behavior from leaders who were not emotionally intelligent, or at least not empathetic. Maybe they were, you know, there's, that's the thing is like, there's different, there's different skill sets and some of them people use quite a bit and some of them they don't use enough of. And when you get out of balance is when you get into trouble. Well, why is it important for leaders specifically. I think emotional intelligence is good for all of us humans to just not only have awareness of ourselves, but as we are interacting in our social creatures, learning to collaborate and share space and take care of the world and the environment around us, right? We need, we need EQ, but why is it specifically important for leaders within organizations to have a high EQ or at least to know that they're flexing this EQ muscle. Oh yeah, that's a great way to put it. Oh my gosh, especially now, I think we can all agree that, you know, the past few years have been incredibly challenging. Even after we got on the other side of the pandemic, 
the return to work, the great resignation, now the disruption of AI. And people, and this is also Mental Health Awareness Month. So the more that people can show up for their jobs and feel like they're seen and heard and not like they're just a number or just another resource that could be disposed of, you know, the people that make that happen are typically the, the middle managers, the people, the ones that are interacting on a daily basis with their direct reports and just little actions like pausing and asking somebody what they're feeling or, you know, how their weekend was can build that connection that make people want to show up at work and want to do their best. And it does, you know, it does affect the bottom line. There is tons of research that shows that leaders with higher emotional intelligence tend to have teams that do perform better. So there's the, there's the personal reasons and then there's also the performance reasons. How do you measure emotional intelligence? Like, yes, you have an assessment that it sounds like can, can gauge it from maybe an individual level, but how do you measure that within like a cultural shift? So the assessment that I use is from MHS, multi-health services, and people that take it, they self-assess on 15 different competencies. So um, from a logistical standpoint, it's just how often are you, uh, you know, the questions are all designed to assess how flexible they are, how independent they are, how they handle stress. So those are all things that they perceive and self-assess on. But then culturally, you get a lot, um, there's a dynamic, you know, in an organization where if many of the leaders are, for example, very high in independence and self-regard and problem solving, for example, those are three of the competencies. So like, those are critical competencies. You need to be able to solve problems if you're a leader and you need to be independent. But if you're really low in flexibility and you don't listen to other people, you know, if you're not empathetic or able to flex, then the culture is going to become one of, you know, people just doing what they're told because they don't feel like they're getting heard or like they're being heard. So I think it depends on who who's running the ship um, and what they're modeling. So it sounds like there maybe isn't like a scale that you're measuring culture from, but by leaders taking these assessments, you can kind of see and maybe also hear qualitatively like what's happening to then understand how is culture being affected from the top down. Yeah, thank you. You said it so much more eloquently than I did. Um, the other thing is, you know, we do 360s and when I was in the mortgage industry a long time ago, late 90s, it was like 1998, there was this woman who we worked with who went out and had these little cards made and it was like the size of a business card and it said on it, somebody thinks you're an asshole. And people could ask her to anonymously leave these little cards on other people's desks. And one of them got left on the regional operation manager's desk. And eventually they found out that it was her that was doing this. And like, some people thought it was funny and she ended up getting fired. And I remember thinking like, 
kind of the equivalent of a really poorly executed 360. <laughs> so it's like, chances are like the people that got those cards, maybe they were showing up like jerks and, and that's what led to it. But all that to say that the, a 360 review is where you can get many other people to anonymously answer the same questions that you're answering about yourself. And the, that's usually where you get some really interesting data because you can self-assess as being very empathetic. But if everybody that answers the same questions about how they experience you says that you're very low in empathy, then obviously there's a gap, which is where we start the coaching. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting of like where we perceive our strengths to be and then when we get feedback. And then even feedback is really interesting because their feedback is also coming from a filtered place. And so right. how, you know, the the process of receiving feedback and being curious enough to understand, huh, what's here for me to take ownership of and what can I take responsibility of? And also like what doesn't feel aligned? Right. Well, and it depends on how it gets delivered. A lot of people don't want to do 360s because they've had really bad experiences with them in the past. I've never talked to somebody who said, oh yeah, I had a 360 and it went really well. <laughs> it's usually how it gets delivered is as important as what the data says. Um, but you're right. It depends on, it depends. I mean, the Raider, uh, you know, whatever frame of mind they're in, it all needs to be taken in context. Yes. The emphasis on how it gets delivered is very key. And actually I know like Microsoft, for instance, I believe this to be true. I've heard this through some clients that they are getting rid of the negative feedback ability. And if you do give negative feedback, you have to put your name because it used, it used to be, you know, it could be anonymous, but I think they ran into this of like, there would be some negative feedback, but there wouldn't be ownership of it. And it would create a lot of ambiguity and then lack of psychological safety because safety. it was like, oh, this is being whispered around me and ha, huh, who's actually taking ownership of it. And I actually recently, right. recently had a client who at a tech company and he was getting feedback from his manager's managers around something that was happening and just the ambiguity of like who was getting the feedback created so much anxiety for him it really rocked his ability to feel a sense of psychological safety and desire to want to work hard because he was like if i'm just not being validated and and seen and actually treated like an adult and people are wanting to have this conversation and move forward with it, then, you know, why would I work here? So in this realm of feedback, like what are some ways that you would recommend somebody with a lot of emotional intelligence would give feedback? The first thing I would say is you have to address the behavior, not the person. So because people get put on the defensive. So for example, you know, if you were my boss and I said, I feel like you disrespected me, that's about you. But if I said, when you cut me off in the meeting in front of everybody, that felt disrespectful to me. 
there's a difference there because I'm talking about the actual behavior and not the person. So starting with the behavior is critical. And then you have to have an ask. So it's like people, we're so good at saying what we don't want. I've I've coached a lot of people that have said, you know, I don't want to be a steamroller. I don't want to be remembered as a jerk. And my question is, well, what do you want? What? How do you want to be remembered? And so I would turn that around in the same way for feedback. So if you're giving somebody feedback about something you want them to stop doing, um, in addition to addressing the behavior, ask for what you do want. And otherwise, it's really hard to be on the receiving end of that, I think, if you're just being told what you're doing wrong and not given any. Uh, and I've been on the receiving end of that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's not fun. It's very Me hurtful. too. It is very yeah. hurtful. I think that is, I want to put an asterisk next to that because when we give feedback and there's not a clear request or ask, as you said, yeah. It's just becomes like a hurtful comment, especially if somebody is not, especially if somebody is more attacking the person versus yes. the behavior, as you're mentioning, and they're not sharing it from the eye. I experience a lot of anxiety when you do X, Y, or Z, or I get really anxious when you email me over the weekends. Can you be more conscious of what time you're sending these emails? unless it's an extreme emergency. Something exactly. like that, that really creates a sense of like, oh, this is an experience I'm having and that there's a request. Otherwise, if we just say like, you're neurotic and you send emails at inappropriate times, right? That becomes very critical. And then what is somebody supposed to do with that? They're just like, oh. Exactly, exactly. They get defensive. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I, it reminded me of a question that somebody brought up in one of my classes and it's, can people have high emotional intelligence, but still be mean, basically? <laughs> can they behave badly? And the answer is yes. Like it could be used for evil too. I've, I've seen and experienced at least one person with definitely high levels of self-awareness and, um, but who still chose to give feedback in that direct personal negative critical way that was intended to make the other person feel inferior. So yeah, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but it absolutely can be used for nefarious purposes. <laughs> How do we balance when you're emotionally intelligent, like internally have that self-awareness, but also externally how you might be coming off or interacting with others? How do you stay in alignment with how you want to be showing up authentically and not getting thrown off by maybe the need to people please or the need to like come off as this perfect leader or this empathetic leader or this very inclusive leader you know the things that might come up as like this is how i should be showing up two things come to mind um the first is the just asking other people how they experience you goes a long way and that might sound like it could undermine people's authority or come across as having a lack of confidence. But you could, you know, I'm thinking of one leader who I coached and he was like, you know, I made, he made somebody on his team cry and he felt so bad. 
and it wasn't intentional. And so we walked through some strategies and, and I'm like, you know, you can ask them how they feel after a meeting, like, it's okay to ask them how they feel. And so, so that was my first, that's my gut response is just ask other people how they're experiencing you and try, try to find it, somebody that you trust. And then the other thing that comes to mind as far as like what they're processing internally is if they've done any sort of values clarification in their in their work and they know what their core values are if at the end of the day you can say you know i did live up to my values today so even if you hurt somebody's feelings or maybe you had to let somebody go or give somebody harsh feedback if you still did it in a way that's aligned with your core values you did your best and I don't, like I said, I don't always get that right. I snap and I'm grouchy and short and impatient at times. And that's not aligned with my values, but Me I do too. know what my values are. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we're human. <laughs> yeah. Trying to get a 13 year old out of the house in the morning and on time and trying to, you know, it's, life's hard. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's the other thing is just be compassionate for yourself and to yourself too, because hopefully we're all doing our best. Yeah. Oh God, compassion. We all could use more compassion. Even if you think you're compassionate, I'm sure you could use more. I know I, I know I could use more compassion. It doesn't come automatically. No. And yeah, I think it's also just this, like what's coming up for me right now is we can think we're emotionally intelligent but really it's this, and correct me if this doesn't resonate, but this ability to stay present and curious. I mean, it feels very much like practicing mindfulness. Like the more we can stay present and curious, I think the more emotionally intelligent we can all practice being. And like, I know, even though I know I'm an emotionally intelligent person, it's not like that's a static place if i just stay there and be like i'm oh i'm automatically here i feel like i would decrease my emotional intelligence right (laughs) so that ability to stay like constant constantly curious with my own self with what's happening around me even just noticing like language you know sometimes my husband will be like oh you know you're feeling sad right now and i'm like no i'm not feeling sad i'm feeling frustrated, right? Like I'll put a different, I have a different, and, and sometimes that will be hard for him that I use a different label for my emotions. And yet like there is when we can have more language to what we're experiencing, how we can all sort of communicate on a deeper level. Sometimes I think like, God, Wade, you get so like granular and like, what if you could just zoom out and like not give a shit and not hold this stuff so tightly, but then I'm not living in it more in an intentional life yeah. and that feels out of alignment. And you're not getting what you need. Yeah. You're, uh, I'm so glad you said curiosity because it's so it's spot on. It's don't judge what you're feeling. There's no bad emotions. And the more you can get curious and say like, why am I so pissed? Because pissed isn't an emotion. <laughs> and there's usually like, you know, resentment or 
there's dozens, hundreds of emotions, and we can typically name between like seven and 10. So there is a whole session that I do on emotional literacy, and there's tons of resources out there. Brene Brown's website has this whole um, Atlas of the Heart. I don't know if you've read that. Yes. So I good. The book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, HBO special, are... all of it. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know there was an HBO special. <laughs> I'll check that out. But there is a whole range of emotions we can feel and they're all valid. And I think there is some value in getting granular and recognizing exactly what it is. And then digging into the why. It's like recognizing what you're feeling is the first part, but then digging into the, what are the underlying things that are influencing that? That's where the curiosity is helpful instead of just, being judge, judgmental about our emotions and being like, well, that's a bad emotion. I don't want to feel that. So I'm going to just push it down. Mm -hmm. It never goes over well. There's this beautiful <laughs> meditation called the rain practice. Maybe you're familiar with it and specifically Tara Brock's version around it, which, oh, Tara. which rain yeah. for those listening is an acronym for R stands for recognize, the A stands for allow, the I stands for investigate, and the N stands for nurture. And so it's a way to build emotional intelligence, emotional awareness, also a sense of meeting our emotions, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, with a sense of curiosity. And most importantly, with the N being nurture, going back to your point of like yeah. a way to meet our needs, a way to nurture ourselves and what needs some tending and how yeah. much of us especially when we're on autopilot don't tend to ourselves yeah beautiful i love i love rain i i reference that uh, in my workshops too the four steps and how there's no bad emotions there's also a beautiful poem you're probably aware of it by ruby called the guest house and it's, it's about how emotion, you know, all these different emotions show up at our door and we should welcome them all, even if we're not happy to see them because they all have a lesson. And so maybe the lesson is that there's a toxic relationship you're in and you don't know it, but you keep feeling like every time you're going to go see that person, you feel this like unpleasant emotion in the pit of your stomach or, you know, there's a lesson in everything. Um, in the positive emotions or the pleasant emotions too, but yeah. just stay curious. Yeah, exactly. Stay curious, stay, stay interested, stay in this place of like, huh, wonder and lessons and lightness. I know sometimes I'm like, what's, what's this emotion here to teach me? Like I have to keep journaling or digging to find it. And I make it really serious and I would make it like a, like I'm putting on my construction hat and like, you know, going into it Get to the bottom of this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I have noticed like if I can have some more lightness with it and it gives it more permission to just kind of be there because sometimes maybe it's like weather that just shows up and I don't yeah. need to make a big thing out of it. And sometimes it also is there to teach me something. So even just kind of being able to discern between those has been helpful for me. I love this. Well, thank you, Essie, for being here and sharing so much of your wisdom and own emotional intelligence oh. with us. 
where can people learn more about you and stay connected? Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's just, uh, it's fun to be interviewed and it's fun to unpack this stuff. Um, and I would say connect with me on LinkedIn. If you're on LinkedIn, there's not a lot of SDs, um, but it's SD Briggs. And I have an Instagram that I use for my sort of uh, more fun stuff, but it's some of it's related to uh, change and EQ, and it's the uh, Agile Gardener on Instagram. And then you can check out my website and you can see the workshops that I offer. I try to get new ones published each month. And there's always something going on this month. I'm doing an emotional intelligence masterclass that's already kicked off. And then uh, next month, I'll be doing a values clarification workshop, which I'm looking forward to. So yeah, so uh, that's BriggsPerformanceConsulting.com. Amazing. And I can't wait to be with your masterclass next week. That's right. You're going to be one of my guest speakers. I'm very excited for that. Yeah, this week we're doing... Um, empathy. And then next week will be yours for, we'll do, we're going to unpack stress tolerance. And I can't wait to introduce you to everybody. I can't wait to be with everybody. Thank you, Esty, for being here. And I'll link in the show notes, all of your resources. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. If this episode resonated for you, think about somebody else in your life that you'd like to share it with. As we know, sharing is caring. And as always, I am so honored if you would take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen. This helps get this podcast into more people's hearts and minds. Thanks for being here. Until next time, stay centered.